This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I just yawned a moment ago before we started recording, which really doesn't feel like something I should be doing the day after Major League Baseball trade deadline day. It feels like something you should be doing. <laughs> well, I mean, you were the one working late into the night. You were the one sure. covering Luis Patino's start, which had a timestamp of, I think, 2.30 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Um, so what happened there? See, what, what happened, uh, in the words of the late great Stuart Scott, uh, so my internet went down at about 12.30 a.m. this morning. I'm working with uh, the legend that is Darren Smith, our editor who was on last night. And, uh, I log in on my phone to, um, I won't say the name of the company that does the internet out here, but it rhymes with Schmomcast. And uh, I check the outage and it says like, yeah, there's a major outage in your area. Estimated restoration time is 4.38 a.m. Uh, mountain time. I believe is what it said. Maybe it said Eastern time. I don't know. Either way, that's far too late for what I needed. So um, Darren, I text Darren. I was still waiting on an interview um, at that point uh, with Pete Zamora, the Lake Elsinore Storm pitching coach. But I text him and I was like, hey, so my internet is down. Um, if I get this interview, I'll figure out a way to like transcribe it and email it to you. So last night I ended up getting this interview just before 1am mountain time, uh, recorded into my computer. And then I put on headphones, listen to the interview in the headphones, dictate the responses from pizza Mora into my phone. Uh, so they transcribed. And of course, as we all know, uh, the Apple voice to text transcription is just flawless. Yeah, then I spent like 20 minutes going back and correcting things. And then, uh, I finally sent it off to Darren. Poor Darren was like heading home at the time and I didn't have any internet, so I couldn't update the story. So poor Darren had to get my email and take the quotes, plug them into the story. Um, so a huge thanks to Darren Smith, who was our hero on a regular basis. He and Paige Schechter, who, uh, run the, all of the great content you get night after night at MILB.com. And last night, uh, he kind of saved me. So big thanks to the good folks at Schmomcast for their uh, flawless internet, which has never given me problems ever before. Certainly last night was not the first time. It's terrific. Yeah, especially when we Monopolies work fun. on the internet. Yeah, monopolies yeah, are yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, when you work remotely and on the internet, it's never an issue. Uh, so with that, uh, we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show from MILB.com, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. My name is Tyler Mon. His name is Sam Dykstra. It is August 1st, so we have passed the one and only trade deadline of the 2019 Major League Baseball season, uh, and things got crazy late. Uh, it was actually a few minutes after 4 o'clock Eastern time when the news broke that the Houston Astros had acquired starting pitcher Zach Granke from the Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange for four very, very good prospects. Um, 
that's probably the main headliner coming out of this and uh the deadline stuff is what we're going to talk about today we're not doing three strikes we will eschew our usual format and uh talk all things deadline some other stuff as well um benjamin hill join us in a little bit uh we'll get to three strikes but we'll get to it later uh with some promotion news from around the minor leagues uh and uh kind of get you set for the final full month of the regular season of minor league baseball which is crazy uh but before we get to all that, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us at MILB.com slash podcast, where we are on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and everywhere else you find your shows. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription there. You can get in touch with the show as well, podcast at MILB.com, and send us your questions, th- comments, thoughts, concerns. If you uh, want to know who we would have traded for on this podcast, um, we've been trying to sign Josh Jackson to a long-term extension for a while. I'm not sure if that's going to work. So he might be up for grabs for other podcasts. We'll send Josh to something that he would flourish on, um, like a, a main restaurant recommendations podcast. We want him to have a good um, you know, future wherever he goes, the next organization, if we're put in a position where we have to deal him. And we're still right. hopeful we can get a deal done. We want to do right by the podcaster first. Right. <laughs> Um, but thanks for tuning in. So let's get some deadline stuff. Uh, that was a very Michael Scott. Sometimes I start a sentence and I don't really know where it's going. Oh, <laughs> um, let's get started. The Arizona Diamondbacks and the Houston Astros teamed up on the biggest deal of the day yesterday. Uh, and Sam, just give us a breakdown on this one. Obviously, Zach Granke going to Houston. That's a huge thing. Uh, but the D-backs acquired a pretty solid haul of prospects from the Astros. They did not get Forrest Whitley. They did not get Kyle Tucker. But beyond that, they got like pretty much everybody else you could possibly want as far as a trade goes. Uh, Seth Beer being the, uh, the headliner in terms of his prospect ranking uh, in that deal. But give us uh, the lowdown on this first one. What exactly did the D-backs act? for Zach Granke. Yeah, before we get going on this one, just in general, uh, there seems to be this feeling around baseball today. And I know it's it's not a blanket statement. There's Everybody's going to have different feelings. But this was a boring deadline. Uh, this deal we're about to talk about here basically automatically negates that. But also, there were so many things happening yesterday that to, to say it was boring by any means is – I think off putting and um, it, it seems like and this might just be from my perspective as you know that guy on the podcast but it seems like it's getting that reputation because the Yankees the Red Sox and the Dodgers didn't do anything honestly Would you I, say that's it I was kind of thinking that um, you know being a Northeast guy growing up and I, I know that feeling I'll, I'll be honest but also uh, just being somebody who's now more of a national writer and, and seeing the whole big picture and seeing the minor leagues thinking you know, there's a reason why we're devoting an entire segment to the deadline. It's not just because, hey, it's a big day on the calendar. There were so many things happening yesterday uh, on the minor league side that affect so many different organizations uh, to just say, hey, the Dodgers struck out. And, yeah, the Yankees didn't trade for a reliever and the Red Sox really needed bullpen help and they didn't do anything. Um, yeah, that's too bad. But, like, having the Reds and the Mets be buyers, that's fascinating. Let's talk about that more. Let's not just say, hey, this was boring because some of the bigger contenders didn't do much. Lots of interesting things happened there, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But this Granke trade, you know, if you were to tell me who or ask me who was the biggest starting pitcher traded on deadline day, I don't think I would have said Granke. I mean, the D-backs are kind of in the hunt in the wild card race out there. Uh, obviously, he has a massive contract. I, I know that. And uh, trying to offload that contract as much as they could. Um, but for the D-backs to be sellers, they weren't exactly 
in my group. I, I wrote a preview a couple of weeks ago. D-backs weren't in that group of got, or teams looking to be sellers. Madison Baumgartner potentially could have gone. Mike Miner could have potentially gone. Uh, Matthew Boyd from Detroit. Granke wouldn't have been on my list of somebody a team was trying to sell. The Astros, everybody knew that they were looking for starting pitching out. Getting one of the best pitchers on the market, period, is amazing. Not having to give up Forrest Whitley or Kyle Tucker. I kind of thought, once I heard there was a trade that went down, okay, this is Kyle Tucker's time to go. You know, he's obviously blocked. Jordan Alvarez jumped him in line, is now in the major leagues, doing incredibly well. Kyle Tucker did incredibly well at AAA last year. Is a got off to a rough start this year, but is doing you know, doing the normal things all over again this year, probably should be getting a major league job somewhere. Maybe Arizona was it. They hold on to him. They hold on to a struggling Forrest Whitley who's starting to gain some steam there at the lower lower levels. Still has an incredibly high ceiling. Uh, they get rid of – but essentially they trade are those next-level guys. Seth Beer was the number one overall – number 100 excuse me overall prospect at the time of the deal corbin martin used to be a top 100 prospect he's undergone tommy john surgery so it's a little unfortunate he's now number 13 in the d-back system jb bukaskis was their first round pick a couple years ago he was a top 100 prospect he's struggled at times this year uh with a 5.25 era at double a corpus christi but he's still striking out more than a batter an inning 98 strikeouts in 85 and two-thirds innings um so the d-backs which I don't think it was a particularly notable system before this at least gets deeper. Uh, and, and that's kind of what they needed to do. Now, what they did to do that isn't just trade away Granky because almost if they could find a taker for the entire contract of, of Granky, they may have just done that. Uh, essentially, I think they sent $24 million. And what that does is, you know, essentially buys prospects. That's what brings in a Seth Beer who, you know, a couple of years ago when he was a first round pick, everybody was trying to figure out what is he going to be? Is he a first baseman? Is he an outfielder? We know he can hit, but also, you know, he, uh, is he going to hit enough to justify being a first round pick? He, we know he did that at college at Clemson. Was that back going to translate? It really has this year. He's got 25 home runs between high A and double A. And that's before he reaches AAA. Uh, you know, he's still only 22, not particularly old. He'll be turning 23 in September. Um, so he's he's hit where he's supposed to go, essentially. Uh, but add him to the mix there in Arizona. Again, that kind of adds a bat that they, I won't say we're lacking, but he brings some real power potential there. The only downside to Seth Beer going to Arizona is you know, a lot of people thought he is a future DH. He kind of needs to be in an AL organization. He's not anymore. They really do need to figure out a position for him. Um, what is that going to be? We'll have to see. You know, and th there are discussions we've heard, you know, in the last couple of months, the last couple of years. Maybe someday soon the NL is getting the DH. I don't think that's part of the equation here. But, uh, you know, you have to at least think about that. With some of these guys, maybe by the second or third year, Seth Beer is in the majors. Arizona gets the DH anyways, and none of this matters. Um, but it's part of the calculus now. Uh, so what the D-backs were essentially doing is, hey, we found a taker for Granke. We found a taker for his contract. If you're just going to take his contract, you get two prospects. All right, what if we send $24 million? Are we going to get a top 100 guy back? That ends up being Seth Beer. I think this works out really well for both sides, essentially. Uh, D-backs get the 
needed minor league depth. They got another starting pitcher in a deal we'll talk about here in a little bit uh, to kind of replace Granke. He's not going to replace the ceiling by any means. Uh, but th- there's enough churn here about getting a lot of money off the books uh, to kind of make it palatable, I would say, for Arizona. Um, but yeah, this is this was a fascinating actual blockbuster. Uh, you kind of wish there were a few other bigger names. You don't want the number 100 prospect to be the, the headliner in a deal like this for uh, a guy who used to be one of the top three or five pitchers in all of baseball. Um, His name but, is Seth Beer, Sam. What yes, kind of I name know. would you I know. rather have? He was going to be in the headline regardless. We were going to make sure he, he was a headliner. The fact that he didn't end up in either Milwaukee or Colorado so he could play a Coors Field, that's a real travesty. Um, well, I will say that the Hillsborough Hops did have an incredible tweet, which was like, hey, D-back, send him where he belongs. <laughs> and just imagine Seth Beer just being like, hey, listen, we just really need to do this for our short it's season just, affiliate. It's just a, it's a it's a move that's really based on things other than baseball, but we got to get you out there to Hillsborough. Yeah. Dude who is currently last, tearing up high A and double A. Yeah. Last day of the year. I mean, it's not it's not like minor league options are a thing. Yeah, that's true. It's not like you're blowing up an option. It's not going to hurt him. Last game of the year, whatever. You know, let, let's maybe have some. Uh, Seth Beer, we're not trying to demote you. We're just trying to have fun. But it would be fun. We it promise. would be cool. I would buy a Seth Beer Hillsboro Hops jersey. Hops could um, just create those anyway. We could. They'll just go out and do it. Yeah, just go do it anyway. Um, but, yeah, so that 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 deal was the kind of blockbuster that I think everybody on the Major League side is focusing on because the idea of to use Nastro's going Verlander, Cole, Greinke is insane in any playoff series. And then they obviously have the bats uh, to make that work. But uh, Arizona Diamondbacks, I think, is more more of a noteworthy organization or, or farm system anyway uh, than it was two days ago. The uh, second topic we will discuss for our trade deadline opening segment is uh, – the Miami Marlins made kind of an interesting deal. Uh, Marlins were active yesterday, and uh, the the moves that Miami has made over the last couple of seasons, you think about like, oh, man, that farm system should be getting loaded. There are a lot of questions about that farm system kind of coming into this year. Um, they acquired Jazz Chisholm, who was formerly the top prospect in the D-backs organization, uh, or was number two. I can't remember Jazz. They updated no, he was rankings, top. Of course, yeah, last no, he was week, top. So he was number one as, as yeah. of those new top 100s. Um, so going out and getting him in a trade with Zach Gallen involved, um, Jesus Sanchez moves into that organization now as well in a deal with the Rays. Give me your breakdown of, of how you feel the Marlins did yesterday. Yeah, the Mar- that Jazz Chisholm trade was a head scratcher, and I don't mean that in like in a bad way. I mean that in a – just none of us saw it coming. Yeah. The Miami yeah, Marlins – came out of nowhere. Yeah, designed to be sellers essentially the last you know couple weeks. We all thought they were going to sell – and you think about, okay, who who is on the older end? Who are the veterans that they can kind of maybe trade and get something back? Because they're trying to build a base. They want to build a base of talent. Zach Gallon, not on that list by a country mile. Uh, Zach Gallon having a breakout season this year at AAA was arguably AAA's best pitcher. That's using the new ball. That's, you know, everything that's gone into the offensive explosion at AAA this year. The guy had an ERA below two. Uh was showing increased velocity, was showing a good cutter, was hitting his spots. I think that's what helps in AAA these days is if you're not going to walk guys, if your command is going to be excellent uh, and your control, 
you're going to do well. He was doing all of those things, moved up to the major leagues, was a little bit better than a league average starter. And again, somebody who can grow on top of that. Uh, years of control. We're not talking about, you know, he was bumping up against arbitration or anything. He just made the major leagues. Uh, it's going to be a long time before they had to worry about him in free agency. So why sell him? And I, and I don't think they were trying to sell him so much as, I wonder if the Marlins were kind of going out saying like, okay, who's high ceiling prospects we can go out and get and how do we start those conversations? Almost being buyers in that way. Um, so Jazz Chisholm, you know, you look at the, the Marlins right now, they don't really have that many high ceiling shortstops. Uh, the next one after Jazz Chisholm is Jose Devers, who's more of a defensive type. Uh, Chisholm marries defense with good power. He's had a down year at double A this year after coming off a breakout 2018. But, you know, this is his age 21 season playing at double A. He's going to make it work. His uh, batting average on balls and play is especially low. He's going to strike out a lot. He's always done that in his career. But still, 18 homers in 89 games at double A is really good. I think it was second uh, in the Southern League when he got traded. So uh, he, he has a higher ceiling than what Zach Gallen can be. Zach Gallen can be a number three or four starter, maybe in the major leagues. Maybe we're that's being generous to say number three uh jazz chisholm can be a shortstop for almost any team i mean that is his ceiling he has a chance to be an above average to plus shortstop defensively good runner good power the whole package everything you want to see out of that spot um so the marlins go and add him to this mix and then they go and make another trade with the rays which is mostly around pitchers uh give the the pitchers or the the rays trevor richards and another reliever, uh, Richards had recently moved to the bullpen. He's mostly been a starter. I think the Rays think he will be a starter. That's why they went and got him. Uh, but in return, they get Jesus Sanchez, another top 100 prospect who actually, as things stands right now, is ranked higher than Jazz Chisholm. Um, I've never been a huge believer in Jesus Sanchez. Every, everything you read and everything we hear is that the tools are there. He has a chance to have a plus hit tool. Uh, he can have... a you know, above average power, a good run tool. He feels his position pretty well. It just, it hasn't been there yet for me, but again, he's similar age to jazz Chisholm and he had just reached triple a Durham in the race system. Uh, he will turn 22 in October. Uh, so add him to that mix now. And the Marlins have six top 100 prospects, uh, including, you know, Sixto Sanchez, who they picked up last year in a trade, J.J. Bladé, who was their first-round pick this year, Isan Diaz and Monte Harrison, who they picked up in the Christian Yelich trades. So these are all people that have been recently added to the organization. And you look around and you say, wait, six top 100 prospects. That's tied for the second most in all of baseball with the Tampa Bay Rays, who – I still think is the strongest system in baseball. I don't think losing Jesus Sanchez is enough to knock the Rays off. But now we have to talk about the Marlins as potentially a top seven or five system and in a place where you can see a rebuild coming. Um, and, and, you know, this wasn't a traditional sell. Uh, I, I still don't know if they really needed to give up Zach Allen. I would love to hear what those negotiations were like because Zach Allen normally under a normal rebuild is somebody you build around. Yeah, those first two, three years are going to be tough because of what everything around him is. But you have a dream of, hey, Zach Allen being your number three starter in an LDS in 2022, 2021, uh, if everything goes right. 
to give him up this quickly was fascinating. But to bring in a higher ceiling talent who doesn't have that major league experience is only, but is only two steps away is one of the cooler trades I think we've ever talked about or had happen in my time here. Uh, it's going to be a long time before we know if it really works. Zach Allen, for all we know, could go and, and increase his ceiling in Arizona because he's getting plugged right into that rotation and essentially taking Zach Cranky's spot. Uh, Jazz Chisholm, maybe that hit tool never develops in the way we think it will and maybe the strikeouts really are a problem and he never makes it you know beyond being an up and down guy between triple a and and the majors uh but you know rebuilds require big swings and this was a big swing by the marlins in uh in ways that i don't think many gms if any others other than the ones in miami other than that front office really took yesterday there weren't a lot of huge risks being taken this trade deadline this was won by miami and i i gotta say i love to see this type of move made by a, a team that is trying to build around its young minor league talent the san diego padres who have been uh in the top one two three of uh of minor league system rankings over the last few seasons with their glut of prospects who have now uh started to graduate to the big league level um made a deal for a prospect sent another one away logan allen moves out of that system and heads to cleveland as part of the three-team deal that brought taylor trammell to the Padres um kind of interesting I think a lot of people at first were like man is that really all San Diego's gonna get and then the conversation was are they flipping him at some point does Taylor Channel become a piece for them to go out and try to get Noah Syndergaard or somebody like that um no, Padres stuck with it. Uh, Taylor Trammell, who has had a uh, kind of slow debut in Double A this season, he's still just 21 years old, but a very, very good outfield prospect. Uh, he is now a member of that San Diego organization. Logan Allen going to Cleveland. Your thoughts on this one, Sam? Yeah, this one was really fascinating, and it you know bits and pieces came out that the Padres have always wanted Taylor Trammell, uh, dating back to the draft when he was a first round pick. He he was on this show a couple years ago. He was the 35th overall pick in 2016. Um, athletic is all as all heck. Uh, you know won the Futures Game MVP award last year. Showed off those same tools this year. I know a lot of people really enjoyed seeing him at BP. Um, you know hitting from the left side, he can kind of flick it. The power shows up in BP right now. It doesn't quite show up in games, but plus plus run tool going to be a really really good fielder. Uh, the arm isn't quite there, but there's enough to dream on here. Um, so giving up Logan Allen and Fran Mel Reyes for Taylor Trammell is another fascinating trade for the Padres' point of view because. You know, why why get involved in this? You know, the the main headline of this deal was Trevor Bauer goes from the Indians to the Reds. Do the Padres just call in and, hey, Reds, if you're involved in a trade, we would really like Taylor Trammell. What do we have to move to make that happen? Um, it turns out sending Logan Allen and Fran Mel Reyes to Cleveland was enough to do it. Uh, you know, for all our talk right now about what the Padres system is and how developed it is and, and how helpful it's been to the major league team this year, um, it, the outfield is kind of a hole for them, I would say. Josh Naylor has graduated to the majors and uh, for all intents and purposes made the transition to the outfield better than I think we were expecting. Uh, the fact that he pushed to a major league debut outside of first base is, is really fascinating. Um, but he doesn't have the ceiling that Trammell does. Trammell has a chance to catch pretty much anything that's thrown his way in, in the outfield. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about his hitting issues this year. Uh, I think all the tools are there to make it happen. Again, like Tyler said, this is another guy who is just 21. 
Uh, he's turning 22 in September. Not a lot to worry about when it comes to uh, is he going to put it together at some point. If he needs to repeat double A next year, that's fine. Uh, but I think he's he's going to hit eventually in his major league career. And adding him to the kind of high ceiling talent that already exists in that Padre system, adding him to the mix of Mackenzie Gore and Luis Arias and Luis Patino, uh, you know, Arias is now in the major leagues. I expect him to graduate in a, a couple days. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. is graduated now. Uh, th- there is a real core to build around here, and Tramiel isn't that far off. His debut is probably coming in 2020 if you can turn it around. It's just it's fascinating that they gave up Framil Reyes, who I know is not a very good defender, but has shown that he can hit in the major leagues, plus another top 100 prospect to bring in Tramiel. That tells you how much they believe in him, uh, how much either they think they can fix him or how much they believe he's going to turn it around. Um, and yeah, to, to, for Tramel to go to an organization that we know develops players really well, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he turns things around real quick. Strike four this week. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, the deal that went down before the, the actual uh, trade deadline day, uh, Marcus Stroman moves from the Toronto Blue Jays to the New York Mets. And that, I think, caught people uh, somewhat by surprise because of that timing. It wasn't as though the Blue Jays had taken it down to the wire and were fielding a whole bunch of offers. And uh, there was a lot of discussion, of course, yesterday after the Zach Granke deal was made official of, well, did the Blue Jays get enough in this deal for Marcus Stroman? Um, I've heard a lot of conflicting things most of the prospect people that i follow still feel like the blue jays got a very very good deal in what they got for marcus stroman um but sam the return from the mets going to toronto you're great on that yeah uh, it felt like at the time you know anthony k somebody we've had on this podcast friend uh, of the show friend of the show i would say uh and we talked about you know being a long island guy was he a yankees or mets fan doesn't matter anymore uh but he was kind of in the midst of a breakout season. You know, somebody who's had Tommy John surgery in the past had moved to AAA and I think was really struggling with that new ball, had a 6.61 ERA in seven starts. Not saying he couldn't have turned it around eventually, but still um, was his stock was dipping because of what was happening at AAA. And Major League is going to use the same ball. So if you're struggling at AAA, you're going to struggle in the majors. Uh, Simeon Woods Richardson was the other name that they threw in. He was the second round pick last year, getting a lot of really good reports on him is 4.25 ERA. I think we can look past that because he struck out 97 batters and walked only 17 in 78 in the third innings. His fastball and curveball are both very good. Uh, yeah, this is at class a Columbia, but the makings are there and he certainly got the frame at six foot three, 210 pounds uh, to project a starter. So they got two starting pitching prospects. That being said, a lot of these other organizations that were looking to get starting pitching help could come up with something similar to Anthony Kay yeah. and Simeon Woods Richardson. I don't think that's the issue here. Um, I don't. The Mets being buyers is kind of fun. You know, getting Marcus Stroman for a year and a half, basically saying, "Hey, we're getting you for 2020. Maybe the off chance we make a wild card run here late. We'd love to have you in the rotation." That's kind of cool. I'm always going to applaud teams going for it and trying to acquire talent. Um, all these other teams, I don't know what you're doing. If if you're trying to say like, hey, we're really going for it, but we're not willing to give up uh, two non-top 100 guys, just come up, give up one, you know, somebody in the back half of the top 100, and you know, 
not a second rounder, a, a lower level prospect than Woods Richardson. Uh, this felt like it could have been matched by the Yankees, by, you know, maybe the Red Sox if they were looking to make, add a starting pitcher. Um, the Astros, when they were talking about adding a pitcher before Zach Krenke, they could have easily matched this, I think. Uh, it's just really interesting to see that the Mets of all teams, who we didn't think had a particularly deep system, they're the ones who can make it happen. I think that's more what I have the problem with. I don't have any problem with the Mets offering it. And, I, you know, it, I kind of wish the Blue Jays had waited a little longer to pull the trigger on it. Uh, maybe wait right up until the deadline and they could have pushed up that price. But, um, yeah, I mean, the Blue Jays adding these guys – K becomes their number five prospect. Woods Richardson becomes their number seven. So they definitely deepen the ceiling of this system. Um, it's not going, you know, they're not going to jump over a Nate Pierce and a Bo Bichette or Jordan Groshans or an Alec Manoa, who is their first round pick this year. Um, but it, it gets a little bit better. You just can't help but think it could have been a little bit even more better uh, if they, if one of these other teams would have been willing to sweeten the pot a little bit. Uh, and our final point of our trade deadline discussion, there were a bunch of deals made yesterday. Um, which other ones really stand out to you? Obviously, the only correct answer to this are the ones in which teams traded players for international bonus slot money. <laughs> that's it. Yes. It's the only thing that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, although I think the Rangers did a trade in which they can actually sign somebody this year. Uh, I don't have to name up off the top of my head. So sometimes that does work out. I don't mean to knock international slot bonus money. No, completely. It's, it's smart. Yeah. It's not just not real sexy. Not sexy whatsoever. <laughs> um, the one that kind of stood out to me was Mauricio Dubon going from the Brewers to the Giants. Uh, what is he going to be exactly is something the Giants will now have to figure out. Uh, he's got experience at shortstop. Most of his experience is at shortstop, uh, but also at second base. I don't think he's going to knock Brandon Crawford off of shortstop. Um, but, you know, he's always been a solid hitter, missed a lot of last year, was a pretty good hitter this year at AAA San Antonio. Uh, the San Francisco Giants system isn't a great one. It's definitely better than what the Brewers was at the time. Dubon was the number three prospect in the Brewers system. Giving him up for Drew Pomeranz was a – really really interesting move because Pomeranz has not been much until he moved to the bullpen and that was a very short look in the bullpen uh, so giving up on Dubon that quickly was fascinating but uh, what happens to Dubon now I, I want him to be a starter somewhere I want to see him get consistent at bats in the major leagues he did come up for two games earlier this month with the Brewers um, where that's going to be for the Giants I'm not entirely sure I think the Giants also got Scooter Jeanette um, so it, is, yeah, it, yeah, is that going to be second base with Scooter Jeanette there? Who knows? Maybe they'll give him a legitimate shot in September, um, open up that competition and, and see where it is. Uh, Dubon can be a good runner. So maybe they give him outfield time as well. Uh, Giants had major outfield problems at the beginning of the year. Uh, seems to sh have shorted itself up a little bit, but, um, yeah, uh, Dubon was essentially blocked in Milwaukee between Orlando Garcia and uh, Keston Hira. Going to the Giants is great because they're going to have opportunities for young players. I just don't see how he fits in that exactly. But they acquired him for a reason, and I can't wait to see what that reason is. Very meta, by the way. As you mentioned Keston Hira's name, he was uh, on my television screen grounding out to short in Oakland. Oh, darn. I was hoping it was home, hitting a home run he to left He was slapping dingers. Yeah. 
just doing things. He's OPSing 997, by the way. I'm very happy for Kessler. He's a very good hitter. Talked to him in spring training. Very good hitter. Very good player. Super nice guy. Uh, he is a very easy prospect to cheer for. And if you're a Brewers fan, obviously you've had a, a whole ton of fun watching him already this season. Um, and that is our uh, our opening segment for this week. Trade deadline is in the past. And that is all. We no longer have to say coming up in 30 days, there's also the uh, waiver tread trade deadline, which uh, other things could happen. That's it. That's gone. So... This is the discussion that we will have about the trade deadline, and your team is now set for either a run to the playoffs or uh, or tooling itself for 2020 and beyond, trying to get maybe some younger guys some looks and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the uh, the Major League trade deadline, one and only, is now in the past. Benjamin Hill joins the show coming up next. Last week when we caught up with uh, Benjamin Hill, we got a chance to catch up with both him and Josh Jackson, who are on the road in Las Vegas. We're set to head to Fresno. Um, that trip has since wrapped up. And hello, Ben. How was the rest of it? It was good. Hello, Tyler. And hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my right in uh, conference room 4L. 4L. So give us – we we, uh, we talked about Vegas. You guys were in Vegas. Then you hit the road and uh, put some very – um, fear and loathing kind of pictures on social media, which was fantastic. The road trip, I mostly want to know about. How was that? Road tripping with somebody like you and Josh, obviously, have known each other for a long time, but road tripping is so different. How did it, it, it went well. So, yeah, we, we spent all of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in Vegas. As you mentioned, we talked to you from there, uh, from Josh's hotel room. And the Vegas experience was different, you know, that we were in Summerlin and not really on the Strip. So, you know, we, we kept things easy, had to keep Josh in control, you know. And uh, so we ended up on Friday – Deciding it would just be a, a travel day because didn't know when we'd be able to leave from Fresno or leave from Vegas, and it's a pretty long drive to Fresno. And uh, yeah, I've known Josh in some capacity. I mean, geez, when did he start for MILB during his first shift? Like seven, eight years ago. Yeah, oh so God. it's uh, so it's been a long time. Um, so we never really spent that kind of time together. And we were in a car for like six hours. You know, we, we switched off driving, kind of switched off changing the music. Um, you know, got got uh, went to a surprisingly good Thai restaurant in ooh, some desert town. And it was just surreal. We were the only people there. Um, you know, we're just in some kind of like beat up uh, you know, strip mall. And what was the town? It was like near the Mojave Desert. Um, but you know, just this, I, that's what I love about traveling, that kind of stuff, you know, being at, yeah, being, you just find some random Thai restaurant in a desert town in California. Yeah. That is the best, especially about the road trip. That is the those best. sort of things are great. And I got to know Josh, you know, and I, I learned things about him that, uh, I didn't know, got a little bit more of a sense of his, you know, his background, where he comes from, you know, some of his personal history. And, uh, I was like, wow, you know, like maybe today is the day we became friends. And so it was a lot of fun and it was, it was, it was different for me. It was unique for me because, um, I've been traveling since 2010, uh, you know, going on these trips and they've morphed a little through the years and I've kind of changed up my operation here and there, but I've always done it by myself and I'm a little compulsive, a little routine, a little too compulsive, a little too routine oriented. So it was interesting for me because I had to kind of wean myself off a lot of my, uh, you know, in my tendencies in terms of how I do things in terms of what I do right after a game in terms of the music I listen to on the road in terms of like the methodology in which I like pick a restaurant. Uh, so in a way it was good to get out of my kind of compulsive, uh, road trip routines and behavior that have been sort of uh, codified in my own brain over the last decade, uh, and do things differently. And then we went to Fresno and it was low riders weekend and, uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. What, what, 
stood out about Lowriders weekend? I saw actually one of the cards that they had, which is pretty neat. But how many of those did they have? Uh, well, what they done? They partnered with a, a car club. Um, that features guys from you know all over California. And Fresno is kind of like the the meeting point, or maybe not the meeting point, but the center between the two the two main hubs of lowrider culture. You know, are L.A. and San Jose. San Jose is like real big in some of the you know more founding moments, I'm, and I'm not too familiar with the history. So Fresno has that as well because it's in between the two locations. Uh, the team partnered with a car club, you know, and got some real heavy hitters in the scene to be part of both Lowrider weekends. You know, in retrospect, I wish we were at the first one because during that one they they shut down several city blocks and had a lowrider car show you mm. know going uh down fulton street outside the stadium i believe uh this one you know the chuck chancy park has a uh, a pretty large plaza you know where you enter the stadium but before you enter into it onto the concourse uh you know real spacious uh, area so they had about 15 uh lowriders set up out there and they were all kind of courtesy of this car club that uh coordinated uh you know different lowrider owners to all be there at the same time and the coolest part about it was uh, we were there for saturday and sunday uh, Sunday was just unmercifully hot and kind of sucked a lot of the energy out of the day. Uh, but Saturday night was great. And uh, they had, you know, it's not a between inning contest because it was taking place in this plaza, you know, away from the field itself. Um, but they had, they announced like, Hey fans, if you want to come check this out, they had a low rider car hopping contest. And I don't even know it was a contest per se. I don't really know what the criteria was or actually who won, but basically all the cars there, the owners came out and I'd never seen this before. They're not in their cars. They have, it's almost like a remote control that's hooked up to the car and there's like pressing buttons. And these low riders are bouncing unbelievably. They'd stay on their back wheels, but then the, the front of the car would lift up literally as high as it could go until the tail's touching the ground. And then and just slam down and bounce and i was like i knew low riders bounced and hopped and had hydraulics and you know strange suspensions and everything but i had no idea they could bounce like that and it was just cool to be like wow i'm in a minor league game and this is what i'm seeing right now it's a surreal very cool moment and uh, the team did a, a good job really connecting with people in the low rider scene because if you're going to call yourself the low riders you really need to know people who are low riders and work with them uh you know to be authentic the same way that you know fresno has been uh you know worked to be really authentic with the whole tacos identity and putting together the taco truck throw down same thing with low riders uh you really need to immerse yourself in that culture in order to get the respect of the people involved and then be able to do those kind of things at the ballpark it is pretty cool there's a, a great story up on the site right now as well from ben from uh jacksonville where the jumbo shrimp had uh, a really awesome promo this uh just went up on the site today um the event happened on tuesday uh but the jacksonville jumbo shrimp did a uh, they were two for tuesday weekly where it's a two for one ticket special um and this past tuesday they had a game with only two fans and this was a, a really special event tell us all about this yeah i mean you guys have probably heard um you know, and it seems like it's a promotion that gets mentioned whenever you see some like, you know, uh, random article appear like 10 crazy minor league promotions. Uh, one that gets mentioned all the time through the years that happened in 2002 was the Charleston River Dogs who did nobody night. And the whole shtick of that night was they did not allow anyone in the fan in the stands until the game became official so they could have an official attendance of zero and then set the record for, you know, lowest attendance in a game uh, that happened in 2002. So cut to now. Uh, 17 years later, I don't think any team has any, done anything like Nobody Night since then, and I think for fairly obvious reasons. Um, no money. Yeah, yeah. You get some publicity, but it's uh, it's a tough one to pull off, and you it goes in the you know it goes in the official log as a zero attendance game. But the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, who do have some Charleston alums on their staff, um, 
you know, they, they kind of were thinking about that premise, but how can we kind of tweak it and how can we put more of a positive spin on it? And they came up with this idea. They partnered with a local charity that operates – it's a Jacksonville-based charity that operates like Make-A-Wish, a wish-granting organization. Um, you know, it's a Dream Jacksonville. I forget what the exact name is. But anyway, they partnered with this charity and um, – through the charity, they found a kid. Yeah, dreams come true. A Jacksonville-based charity, and uh, they've worked with this charity before, and you know they were familiar with each other. And what they did is, through G- dreams come true, they found a kid, um, Joshua. Uh, he goes by Junior. Uh, his father is Joshua Senior, but they're kind of you know Junior and Senior, Josh Junior, Josh Senior, and uh, Josh Junior is 12 years old and he's battling a rare form of cancer. And as part of this wish-granting organization, uh, they brought Josh and his father, Junior and his father, to this ball game and had them be the only two fans in attendance. So the official attendance was two. And uh, so it's the lowest attendance in Southern League history, maybe the second lowest attendance in minor league baseball history, although I have heard perhaps apocryphal tales about uh, you know a one-attendance game in the Pacific Coast League way back when. Anyhow, uh, it was just Junior and Senior at the ballpark. This kid fighting cancer, and they gave him a day of, you know, just a, a dream day at the ballpark. So the team kept the ballpark fully staffed. And, you know, so the concessions were open. There were vendors up and down the aisles. Um, but it was just this kid having the run of the ballpark, meeting the players, being on the field, being introduced with them, lining up with them during the national anthem, participating in every single between inning contest, having tons of T-shirts thrown to him during the between inning T-shirt toss, <laughs> um, you know, running all across the ballpark to get foul balls and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, you know, in Jacksonville, in the left field, there's a tiki bar and the team set up a party just outside of the tiki bar uh, in left field. And so fans who wanted to come in once the game became official, they waited till the end of the fifth inning could then come in then so a couple hundred fans did come in uh who hung out there during the party and uh, you know i was also interested in this it's a great feel-good story and i, I suggest reading the article <clears throat> the team has just uh, put a video together too that i'm going to work to embed in the article too that should be up tomorrow uh thursday the same day this podcast drops but i was also interested in it from an operational standpoint like what was your messaging to fans yes it's a tuesday night not one of your larger attendance game but you're still gonna have people season ticket holders or people who just think see you know look at the schedule and say oh they're home yeah it's a nice night for a game um you know so they stationed people outside the ticket windows to explain to the walk-up crowd you know what was going on season ticket holders they knew from before the season even started they offered season ticket holders like prorated ballpark bucks, you know, based on the, the you know, the cost of the ticket uh, that they could send. You know, so they were kind of given money to spend at the ballpark in, in, in exchange for not being able to attend this game until the sixth inning. Um, and as far as I could tell, I, I, you know, I scrolled social media and stuff. I didn't see anyone saying like this is this was, you know, uh, frustrating. I wanted to go to a game. And it, it, maybe if it was like a nobody night situation and there was no hook outside of we're just doing something ridiculous, some fans might have gotten mad. But it was really hard to get mad when the due to this premise of bringing these uh, this father and son in and getting the game of a lifetime. So, you know, I mentioned this on Twitter today, but my guess is as 2020 promotion schedules come out, I could virtually guarantee that this idea will will see this more and more because this is very replicable. And uh, on a Monday or Tuesday, a night where you might not have a huge crowd, again, get the message out, you know, get the story out there, and it's just a winning story every time and truly provides a memorable experience. 
is a really cool story, and it's up on the site right now at MILB.com. Benjamin Hill, you can find at Ben's Biz on Twitter, and uh, the page on the site, MILB.com slash Ben's Biz, has all of his stuff. What do you got coming up? Uh, well, not surprisingly, having just gotten back uh, earlier in the week from Vegas and Fresno, got quite a bit of material from Vegas and Fresno. Um, coming up, you know, a full ballpark tour, a little bit more on the food. There's already a story up uh, on, on specifically the hot dogs, how they partner with a local celebrity chef, a chef uh, the aviators did. So more food stuff, ballpark tour stuff, some interviews, uh, working with Josh on some videos. It'll be part of the story. Uh, of course, an article on Lowriders Night, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so stay tuned. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Thank you, Tyler. And uh, thank you, Sam. And I, I just wish I had a really pithy and funny line to wrap up this interview. But instead, I'm just going to get up and walk away. It works. You really did. You got out of his chair. He's actually All right. Bye, Ben. Bye. It's like that Seinfeld episode where they go to the wedding in India and they do the whole episode in reverse. Three strikes. <laughs> this week's show. Well, the way I thought about it when I was laying out this episode is that technically it's three strikes and you're out. So. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Three strikes. And you're yeah. Out. Either we should rename three strikes or we should always just quit after the first segment. Yeah, that's true. Much shorter podcast. Production time. Yeah, <laughs> way shorter production time. Uh, well, let's get into it for three strikes. We have uh, a trio of big promotions to discuss. Uh, Dustin May, the Los Angeles Dodgers, is now of the Los Angeles Dodgers and no longer of the Oklahoma City Dodgers. Joe Adele, top prospect in the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim organization is now a member of the Salt Lake Bees and Royce Lewis former first overall pick is now a member of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos he has moved up to double A Adele to triple A and made to the big leagues uh Sam your reaction to these promotions all three deserved um Adele got his season started late. Royce Lewis started kind of slowly this year. Dustin May has been brilliant since going up to AAA from AA Tulsa a month or month and change ago. Um, your your gut reaction to these three moves? Yeah, I mean, Dustin May going up is great. And uh, everything we talked about in the first segment about the Dodgers' inactivity, uh, I really do believe this. And I, and I know I'm a prospect follower and, uh, you know, this is pre- preaching the gospel, but you know, the Dodgers have really good guys waiting in the wings and triple A Oklahoma City and May is w- certainly one of those. So the idea of, hey, they need to go out and get a bat or, hey, they need to go out and get an arm. Give Dustin May a shot. Let's see what happens. Um, and, you know, they, they're doing that right away. What I think is interesting is that they are starting him as a starter, but have almost explicitly said, Hey, we're bringing him as a starter. We're going to see if he could help us out in the bullpen down the stretch. Uh, he has already thrown 106 and two thirds innings. I don't think he's bumping up against any limits quite yet, but you know he, he's done a lot for somebody who just a couple of years ago uh, was a first round, or was a third round pick. Excuse me. Uh, he's three years removed from that now. So you know maybe come September they try to see what he can do. Maybe next year he's a starter. I think he's a starter long term regardless of what happens the rest of the year. Uh, but it's just kind of interesting for them to already be talking about that. Yeah, Dustin May has certainly earned this chance. He's got three plus pitches in his fastball, curveball and cutter. I have seen him throw 98. He did that at the Futures game. Uh, part of me thought, hey, maybe that's to him just shoving in you know a limited outing, but he's done that for Oklahoma City in the past as well. Uh, passed all the tests that that you need to do a in the PCL and B this year, triple a He had a 2.30 ERA and five starts, 24 strikeouts, only nine walks and 27 and a third innings showing that his stuff is going to play pretty much anywhere it goes. Uh, we were talking 
in the spring, I remember I was actually in this very room, in this very conference room, uh, talking to Dustin May because Dave Roberts was effusive with praise for him, saying, like, this is a guy we want to see at Dodger Stadium at some point. And that was back in March. Uh, here we are in August, and that day has finally come. Uh, Dustin May said as part of that podcast, you can go back and listen to it. You know, hopefully my time comes in 2019. I feel like I'm getting close to that. He's certainly shown it uh, the last couple of months. So the Dodgers trying to find their bullpen help, their pitching help, however you want to put it, Internally, I think is exciting, and May certainly has the weapons to make that work. Uh, to quickly touch on the other two guys, Joe Adele to Triple A Salt Lake. That news broke just an hour or two before we recorded this. Um, that's really exciting because I think they are doing that with an eye of giving him potentially a September call up. Um, they view him as the right fielder of the future. He's not going to knock Mike Trout out of center, not because he can't be a center fielder, but just because Mike Trout does whatever Mike Trout's going to want to do. Uh, and he's a really good center fielder himself. Um, so they might want to see how that's going to look and, and, and get Adele ready for that. But putting Adele in the PCL is going to be really, really fun to see. I think he has a chance to put up some absolutely bonkers numbers there. Uh, he has come back from multiple leg injuries suffered in the spring extremely well. He's still a really good runner, uh, still showing off good power and a good overall hit tool. Uh, he actually hit a pinch hit home run in his last at-bat at Double at A Mobile. Um, so all the potential in the world is there for Joe Adele. He's now the number four overall prospect. Uh, really excited to see them push him in this way, especially if it's with the eye on getting him a major league uh, debut in September. That would be really neat. Royce Lewis, real quick, uh, moving up to Double A Pensacola, like you mentioned, Tyler, had some real struggles at the first half of the season. I think part of that was, and he has said this on the record, uh, he was trying to make too many adjustments. If, if things weren't coming, he would automatically try to fix them instead of relying on what made him such a good hitter in his first full season last year. Um, I think he eased back into it. He was certainly on the upswing with Class A advanced Fort Myers. Um, he's always going to be athletic there's some question about whether he'll stick at shortstop but only because maybe he moves to center field at some point uh he is a good runner he can cover a lot of ground um with that bat i think that it's going to kind of come around for him and moving up to that pensacola roster which now has him alex kirloff and trevor larnick uh three first round picks all featuring in the top half of that lineup is really exciting so if you're a twins fan and, you know, the major league club is off or something down the stretch here where it should be exciting at the major league level. Uh, do pay attention to this Blue Wahoos roster because it really is the future of the Twins franchise. Strike two this week, the trade deadline now behind us. And uh, last year, a guy who became friend of the show, Shane Boz, uh, got familiar with what that deadline meant as a player. Uh, traded from the Pittsburgh Pirates organization to the Tampa Bay Rays organization. And uh, now a member this season of the Class A Bowling Green Hot Rods, a 20-year-old out of Cypress, Texas, who was a first-round pick for the Pirates back in 2017. Um, he's kind of been through it and was the subject of a tool shed column with Sam 
Cunningham earlier this week in which he talked about kind of that trade um, and what it meant, obviously, going through that and now being a member of a new organization uh, and what it has been like for him getting acclimated to being part of the Rays. Um, this is a really interesting story and uh, obviously very timely coming out on trade deadline day. But uh, tell us about Shane Boz and, and your conversation. Yeah, I kind of wanted to find a prospect through which we can kind of look at the lens of a trade, somebody who's been through it. Um, you know, we every time we talk to somebody who's been traded, we, we like to get their trade story. Uh, I actually remember this spring talking to Will Stewart in the Marlins organization. He was involved in uh, the JT Real Mudo trade. And the second I said, so like, how did you find out? He's like, okay, this was my trade story. And I wanted to tell somebody. So everybody has a trade story. Uh, but Boz's is different because he was a player to be named later. And usually when you hear that term, you think it's it's going to be a nobody. It's it's you know a throw in. It's, hey, we'll figure it out later. It's not a big deal. We can't come to an agreement right now. Um, but when the Chris Archer trade happened, it was Chris Archer for Tyler Glass now, Austin Meadows and a player to be named later. And pretty quickly, I can't remember which side it was, but the organization said, hey, this player to be named later is somebody people will recognize. Uh, and that ended up being Boz. He, he eventually found out August 14th, so two weeks after the trade, that he had been moved. Uh, you know, We talked about what it's like to be a player to be named later because a you know the trade deadline is passed the non-waiver deadline existed at that point so or, or the you know there was still possibility of waiver trades but um you, you kind of think everything is in the past he was a first round pick you don't think the team that drafted you 14 months ago is going to flip you that quick um he was feeling pretty comfortable but he did say you know he was at rookie advance bristol and there was some murmurs and there were some murmurs in the the clubhouse of, hey, it could be one of us. You know, we're the lower level guys. Um, one of us could go at any moment. Um, so it was a little bit on edge. And he said he was watching a game. It was an 11:30 start. He was on chart duty that day. Walked in, checked his phone. Phone's blowing up because uh, it was announced that he was the guy going. He talks to his manager. His manager's like, yeah, you're going to want to keep your phone on you. And at the end of the day, it was a really human conversation that he had with me because he said, listen, I need to put my phone down. Uh, everybody's calling me. I got, you know, the pirates front office calling me to alert me to this and, and, you know, thank me for my service. And I've got the Rays calling me, telling me where I need to go next. And he was staying in the Appy league. So he didn't really need to move that far or get on a plane. He just needed to go to a hotel and move up to Princeton. Um, and it was just kind of fascinating to listen to that. But what I think, and this is the part that got the most attention uh, yesterday, this, this column blew up a little bit, is he talked about you go to a new organization and it's a new philosophy. And he's kind of found one in the Rays that seems to work really well for him. Um, the Rays, as we know for a long time now, they need to be on the cutting edge of player development if they're going to work with a shoestring budget at the major league level. Um, so they are big on analytics. Immediately when he went to Princeton, and again, this is just one step away from the complex leagues, um, they were giving him analytics to chew on. They were trying to tell him, hey, listen, we know control is an issue for you. That's because you're being too careful. You're trying to pitch on the black. What we have here for you is that, and this is what he said they told him, if you were in the major leagues right now, you would have the number one average spin rate in the major leagues on your fastball. Your fastball is so good, guys can't pick it up regardless. Did a little bit of fact-checking on that. Fangraphs um, has him 
his average spin rate at 2,600 RPMs. That's fourth best among all pitching prospects, and that would be in the top 10 for the majors. You know, so it, it might be a little off, but still, we're talking about elite spin rate here. Don't try to be too cute. Don't try to aim for the black or the corners or the knees or the upper part of the zone. Just throw it. These guys aren't going to be able to touch your fastball. And oh, by the way, your slider is also really good. So maybe lean on that a little bit more than your curveball um, because we have data that proves to you that this is what's going on. Uh, instantly, he said in instructs, he could feel a change. And even now, you know, he's able to self-diagnose a little bit more. If he's got a, if he's working with a track man or if he's going and he says, ah, oh, that was off, what happened? And they say, hey, yeah, the RPMs were down on that one. Okay, this is what I know I need to do. Um, and, and he's back to being a top 100 prospect in that race system that, as we've talked about so many times, is incredibly loaded. And he's on, on a Bowling Green staff right now that has been loaded all season long uh, and, and, you know, has lost guys to promotions and all that. And uh, so, yeah, to, uh, trades, we think of like, oh, a team may be giving up on a player like the Pirates were willing to trade away Boz. But I think what happened here, based on what the Rays had and the Rays data, was that, hey, they really signaled him as like, hey, he's a guy we can fix. Um, he's somebody who we know exactly what's going on here and we can make this work. His control has been better this year. It, it's not a plus necessarily, but it, it is definitely better this year. His strikeout rate is jumping. Uh, he seems to be more confident every time he takes the mound. It's not iffy about whether the control is going to be there. It's a little bit more consistent. Uh, and, and I think trades, you know, for prospects, most of the time they don't work out from the prospect side. That's why these guys are prospects. Uh, but Boz is showing kind of the path forward of why some of these guys get identified, why they move to organizations and the opportunities that they have from trades, not just the negative aspects of them. And finally, strike three this week. This is the final full month of the regular season, which is so crazy to think. Uh, but playoff races obviously heating up in the second half in some leagues or season-long standings leagues uh, headed into their stretch run right now. Um, what are you following most closely in August? Am all these promotions, all the playoff stuff, uh, guys who are going to be headed up to the major leagues come September 1st? What are you following? Yeah, I think August is, is a real interesting month, and we kind of talked about this last week. Um, with, you know, we're getting to the point now where if guys aren't promoted, then it's probably best to just let them finish out the year where they are. We're not going to really see too many promotions with two or three weeks left, uh, at least internally within the minors. If a guy is ready for, for the major leagues, we hope he gets that promotion. Um, but let's look at, let's say, the AA Arkansas Travelers, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast as being one of the most loaded team in the minors right now. Uh, they have some good players. You know, Justin Dunn is probably ready for AAA. Justice Sheffield came back from AAA, seems to have reworked his stuff. Maybe he should be pushed back to Tacoma. Uh, Evan White is injured, but maybe when he comes back, uh, you know, he's been at double A long enough that I wouldn't be surprised to see him make a push there. Kyle Lewis on and on and on. That said, the Arkansas Travelers right now are 20 and 18. They won the first half division, so they already have a playoff spot. They could decide to keep all those guys together and try to push for a Texas League title. Um, what is in the Mariners' best interest? That's what I'm going to kind of be watching is that kind of dichotomy of, hey, letting you go for a title where you are and where you've been most of the year uh, versus, hey, you're ready for AAA. We want you to know what AAA is like. 
Um, those are some of the decisions that are going to be made over the next month. And it's going to be really fascinating to see how certain farm systems break down that kind of decision. Um, you know, the Mariners right now aren't in a place where they really need to push these guys. I think it's almost in their best interest to let, you know, Justin Dunn and, and Evan White and all those guys I've already mentioned try to win a ring together and, and be winners and, and take that into their offseason. There is something to be said for that for sure. Um, but yeah, when we get kind of into the nitty gritty towards playoff season, the, the, a lot of these decisions need to be made um, and how they're going to break down is something I think everybody should be watching in August. Well, that's three strikes for this week's episode. But before we get out of here, we're going to tell you what we're watching on MILB.TV coming up this weekend slash early next week, whenever. Sam. Yeah, so this one's going to be kind of a quick turnaround, and I understand that. But on Friday, Mackenzie Gore is scheduled to go for the Amarillo Sod Poodles. You're going to want to watch him regardless. Uh, He actually had a really rough outing two outings ago. Bounce back. He's made three so far. Two of them have been scoreless. I think the other one he gave up seven earned runs which is the first time he's really struggled so to see him bounce back was really cool um let's see how he continues to learn from that but beyond that i think friday could be it, it's going to be either the first or second game for taylor Trammell uh in a san diego padres uniform of any kind uh he is moving from double a chattanooga to double a amarillo as part of that trade uh so you're going to want to see that if you are a padres fan you know, when we talk about the numbers being off with him and how we think he can improve, watch him play. I think anytime you watch Taylor Trammell play, you're going to walk away thinking like, okay, that guy has a great future in this sport. Um, so you, you're going to want to see him as much as you can. Uh, and getting to see him while Gore pitches, I think, is a great opportunity. And that is on MILB.TV. So tune in for that on Friday if you hear this podcast in time. If you don't and you still have MILB.TV, that game is in the archive. You can go back and find it. You're going to re- want to rewatch it anyways just to see Gore's stuff and Tremel's skills. Uh, so be sure to find that game whenever you get the chance. Tyler, where you got your eye on? Yeah, the uh, now number four prospect in baseball, Joe Adele, we told you moved up to AAA Salt Lake. Uh, the Bees are at home this weekend. They will take on visiting New Orleans from Friday through Monday, so you can catch all those games, uh, which are actually all night games. So if you're out on the west or on the uh, on the East Coast, um, they're 9:05 start times on Friday and Saturday and Monday, actually, and an 8:05 start time on uh, on Sunday. Uh, normal times out here in the mountain time zone. But for those of you who listen out east, some late baseball for you. And um, Joe Adele, really, really good at baseball. And uh, has finally made that climb to AAA after a, a slash line of 308, 395, 53 in the Southern League through 43 games. Pretty decent. Um, and that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks for uh, tuning in. We, um, as always, around trade deadline time, feel like we kind of get more questions and um, people want things explained and all that kind of stuff. So, again, you can get in touch with us, podcast at MILB.com, or tweet your smart questions to Sam. He's at Sam Dykstra, MILB. Uh, any dumb ones that are easily answered, I'm, I'm probably be able to field them at time <laughs> Now and, I want to uh, see what the difference is going to be. <laughs> And that'll do it. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 